0: Hello, and welcome to Crashing the Pearly Gates Radio. I'm your host today, Rahul Seti. Our usual Jessica Deline, unfortunately, is out, but this is a very special occasion because we have a very special guest today. Joining me is the beat writer for the Los Angeles Angels and writes for The Athletic, Fabian Ardaya. Welcome.
1: Thanks for having me, Rahul. How's it going?
0: pretty good pretty good and we also have joining us is jeffrey tan jeffrey how are you
2: hello everyone
0: and today is not only a special occasion because we have fabian but also because we are the day after the deadline and 2020 has not exactly gone as the angels wanted it to um Actually, in our notes, I titled one of these sections as a 2020 postmortem, which isn't exactly how you want to describe a baseball team that has half their season left to play, but unfortunately, that's how it's gone for the Angels. Um Fangraphs projects them to go 12 and 12 in their remaining 24 games. Unfortunately, that does not move the needle for them as they are currently 12 and 24. (laughs) And Fabian, I'll turn it over to you. What exactly can we make of this completely wonky short season for the Angels?
1: Um, I think it's sort of, I mean, it's hard to really describe what's going on because you want to say it's a small sample because it is. I mean, it's a little bit more than a month of seasons season, really, that we're looking at. Uh, but if you go back even to last year right before the deadline, uh, just sort of that when that stretch when the Angels hit five games above 500 against the Dodgers, uh, from that point on, they've been pretty much playing at a 51-win pace, which is a lot bigger sample than you'd think. Uh, and also just like an example of, like, this is a roster that should be doing a lot better than this. This is a roster that in the middle of that stretch added Anthony Rendon and added Dylan Bundy. Like, they got better but they seldom perform well. So, like, obviously, there's stuff that you can sort of say is bad luck, small sample, and there's numbers that prove that out, like BABIP numbers and stuff like that. Like, they, they're really, like, unlucky in a lot of things, but also it's just, I mean, this roster is a flawed roster. It's a talented roster. Like, there is talent on this roster, but it's a flawed roster, and those flaws tend to show themselves a little bit more, over this sort of a sample whereas maybe you see some of these teams that maybe aren't on a total talent level as good as the angels but are more balanced Uh, that's those are the teams that you're seeing perform a lot better in this sort of sample
0: yeah definitely i think that's probably one of the biggest takeaways for me is how unbalanced this team is they have a lot of really amazing players and a lot of players who aren't so amazing um Jeffrey, do you have anything to add on that?
2: I think that uh, an example or a specific example of what's going on with this team and how much it befuddles everyone occurred last week when it was one of the times the Angels were playing early, which doesn't happen that often because they're on the West Coast, and they were the only game on at that time. And everyone from baseball media, Twitter, got to tune into the Angels and they started tweeting all at once how is this team how does this team have the record that they have and just looking at the roster this might be if the record holds this might be the best worst team in baseball ever it's it's hard to really fathom how the talent on this roster as has been alluded to by so many um and even the players who are performing well you think that just the raw stats that have been put up this year might lead to more wins but it just hasn't so it's something for the angels to diagnose whether they think it can be fixable by the time 2021 rolls around or if they think that it's something deeper that can't be addressed in the short term and more drastic actions might have to be taken
1: yeah, yeah i think you put up pointed out something really good there about uh just the fact that like even the good performances we've seen like you're wondering what's going on why isn't this team better like you look at David Fletcher you look at Anthony Rendon but the thing is like I think Billy Epler used this word actually after the deadline like a lot of it sometimes it's sequencing and like stuff that's like really a little bit out of your control and a lot of randomness in there because like you're having players just have these amazing seasons like you're seeing Anthony Rendon go on stretches like that are as good as he's ever had and then you're looking down the lineup and Justin Upton like, if you plan out, like, a projection for a season, like, this is, like, a maybe, like, a fifth percentile projection of what the season looks like, or even worse. And, like, Shohei Otani also having one of the worst season, one of the worst variations of a season you could have. Albert Pujols, same thing. Joe Adele, same thing. So you just have, like, a lot of guys who are either going really well or they're going really poorly. And the fact that they don't have a whole lot of guys that are just in the middle there, I think, is part of why the variance like they're lending themselves to that variance a lot more than maybe your average team would
0: yeah i think that's definitely true i think if we look at the record they're 12 and 24 but if you look at run differential if we look at pythag they're 16 and 20 which is four games under under 500 instead of eight and if we look at base runs which as you alluded to fabian strips out sequencing and just measures you know what hitters and pitchers have actually produced then the angels are 18 and 18 according to fan graphs or a 500 exactly what club. you
1: thought they would be yeah exactly right. what you thought they would be
0: which is almost exactly where most of the experts predicted the angels would be around um, to begin the season and I think part of that reason why you know they're this terrible is because as you alluded to they have a lot of high variance players and to some degree, it's just gone off the rails with those, you know, guys that have such extreme probability of outcomes. Um, I guess that sort of leads into my next question is, you know, the angels have sort of been in this middle ground for a long time where they think, Hey, if everything can go right, maybe we can sneak in and make some noise. Um, And usually, you know, baseball ownership and ownership in sports is not a factor in that. Um, For the Angels, it is to a certain extent. Can you sort of explain the role that Artie Moreno has played in the Angels baseball operations department and sort of how that's affected the team's performance and the team's um, strategy, if it has?
1: I would say, I mean it sort of comes and goes with each team i think you see that and i think it's sort of each owner's prerogative to like sort of be as involved as they want to be because i mean after all like they're the ones that are investing the money in the team uh but i think we've seen a trend uh just throughout Artie Moreno's tenure but also like it's something that can sort of make some sense uh it's just a lot of the bigger deals a lot of the bigger moves uh, a lot of the big free agent signings a lot of the big trades already has a lot of input in that and that's something that he always has. Like he sort of has described himself as an avid baseball fan. This is something that he says he watches a lot of baseball all the time. And, I mean, this is just stuff that's interesting to him and stuff that is important to him. And, uh, and he, there is something to it Like where there are attachments he gets to certain players. I think we've seen it absolutely with Albert Pujols. Like he said, I think it was last spring, that like, a long, like the long-term contract for Pujols still worked out. In his in his mind, and maybe it did. If you look at it, maybe how much money it brought in, in ticket sales, jersey sales, whatever, and what he values in a player, as opposed to maybe what the industry values, is something that is important to him. Um, and I think we've seen moments where, like, really ownership has had to step in. And I think we've seen that sort of with Jerry DePoto. we've seen that with Billy Epler here. Uh, we saw obviously the spring with the Ross Stripley trade that didn't happen. So I mean. I think he's involved. I think there are certain things that he's more involved in than others. And there's other things, obviously, that he's not involved as involved in as others. I think he, he's just a unique ownership case. And we've seen that, obviously, like he's committed to being in this role for a long time. Uh, at least from what it sounds like, off based off of his decision, obviously, to invest in Angel Stadium, the land around it, and... Sort of the fact that he's committed to some of these long-term deals. I don't think that if you're looking to sell a team soon, you're not going to sign a bunch of guys to big deals unless you're Jeffrey Loria running the Marlins. But I don't think Artie Moreno is that in that specific scenario. So I mean, I, it's hard to really say. I also, just because like, there's so much that we just don't know, like just the interactions, day-to-day interactions. We don't know how much, like how much input uh, that Artie Moreno had in making sure that. Anthony Rendon was the person that they pivoted to, or that Joe Madden was the manager they hired. We know that Artie Moreno likes those two guys. We know that he was involved, but we don't know the extent. We obviously we don't know if like Billy Epler felt the same way. And obviously, like Anthony Rendon is a really good player. If your owner is willing to spend money to get Anthony Rendon, like bully for you, like that's good for them. And it's good that they're trying to invest in that player. And Artie Moreno has always invested in top line talent. It's just maybe some of the surrounding talent that hasn't quite lined up as much. And maybe it's because Artie Moreno is not willing or capable to go up to a Dodgers-level payroll, or it's just different outside factors about like what, what the team's able to do in player development, so they have to spend money in other places, other things. Like It's it's really complicated, but I think it's just sort of... there. It's always a factor, I think, when you're evaluating a front office, whenever you're evaluating where an organization's at, is what ownership's motivations are, I think. That's not necessarily unique to Anaheim. I
2: think several points there are very important to understanding his relationship with the Angels, as insofar as much as the outside individual can glean uh, from Artie Moreno's involvement. First of all, we see the payroll. And although you mentioned that it's not maybe not Dodgers level, it always has been one of the top payrolls compared to other teams in Major League Baseball, and Artie has always been willing to spend. It's just that other factors might have been involved in the money not being as effective year-to-year or the team being seemingly hamstrung in certain off-seasons or at certain deadlines. And I don't think that's necessarily on him. But when you do look at the other factors, like if he is involved in some of the specific moves, if he's requesting certain players. And it, it is his team, as you said, and he has the right to do these sort of things. But we have to examine whether they're beneficial to the club as a whole, whether they're beneficial to the Angels winning games on the field, to fan involvement, etc. Uh, one point that I like to think about when examining this past off season, for example, is that other teams were upset that they lost that they didn't get Anthony Rendon. The Texas Rangers were rumored to be in on him, and their fans were unhappy that they couldn't match the Angels' offer. The Washington Nationals, coming off the World Series, they were unhappy that their team couldn't retain him after winning the championship, which should be the which is the goal of all teams. And the Angels did get him. And one thing I like to say is that value is value, no matter where it comes from. Anthony Rendon is definitely an upgrade. He is putting together a borderline Hall of Fame career. And although that money could have gone to pitching, he he adds value to this team and that's something like whether you win 9-8 or 2-1, it's a win. And the fact is that adding him and other players like him improve the Angels as a whole.
1: And also, like it's not like the Angels chose Anthony Rendon over Garrett Cole. Like they pursued both, and mostly Cole. They pursued mostly pitching throughout the throughout the market. I mean, at some point, like the player has to want to come to Anaheim, and the person that they got closest with was Garrett Cole, and they got outbid. Like they still, the Angels still made a, what would have been a record-setting offer, and they got outbid, and. Anthony Rendon, like, like you mentioned, like there's only so many chances to get a Rendon type of player. And it's not like the Angels were set at third base. They could have probably put Fletcher at third and felt relatively okay at least going into uh, 2020, and then they would have figured out whether it's re-signing Angelton Simmons or try to figure out some way to add at shortstop or third base the next year. But if there's an Anthony Rendon available, if he's open to signing with your team, if you can get him at a rate where, if you look at his offensive production, and the type of player he is, you feel like he probably will age a little bit better. Uh, like, I think it's a good investment. I don't think, I think comparing him to Cole is always going to be sort of a tough. Like, they're probably it's probably unavoidable, but I don't think it's necessarily the most fair assessment. It's just because Garrett Cole didn't want to say, sign in Anaheim, he wanted to sign with the Yankees. Like, and there's not really anything Billy Epler or Artie Moreno can do about that.
0: That's true. Those are definitely good points. And I think it's true that Anthony Don- Rendon does provide the Angels with legitimate value at third base. He's a great player. No qualms there. That being said, I do think that, you know, there is a certain point to, you know, when you are a fan of a team and what it takes to run that team efficiently, per se. And I think not only necessarily just. Artie Moreno but I think throughout sports I think when you've seen ownership have more intervention in terms of the specific moves being made I think you do get you know a team that isn't necessarily run the best way and that's often reflected on the field Um, however that may be so and I think as you alluded to at the beginning of this Fabian the The scuffled Dodgers trade that would have brought Jock Peterson and Ross Stripling is is just one example of that happening. Um, I'm sure that there are many examples of free agents that were not signed, not necessarily because they didn't want to come to Anaheim, but because ownership wasn't giving um, management the green light to go after that player and get him. Um, And to that extent, I think we... There were definitely reports that Billy Epler was interested in, you know, pitching um, candidates like Zach Wheeler or Patrick Corbin. Those were guys were, that were definitely heavy, heavily heavily linked, um, and certainly there have been instances in the past where you've had a guy that signs elsewhere because of ownerships um, communication issues. For example, Adrian Beltre definitely wanted expressed an interest in being in Anaheim. And it's, it's the management, it's the, you know, ownership that eventually, um, didn't make that happen. And the same was true with Torrey Hunter re-signing with the Angels. So I I think it's definitely a two-way street. Obviously an owner is definitely involved to a certain extent with their team, but I'm not sure that Artie's intervention has been beneficial to the Angels on the whole.
1: Yeah, I think the one thing is just like he has like there's been cases that like you mentioned just where the Beltra case is a perfect example of that because they went close to a decade without signing a forest client and that was part of it. That and also the Jared Weaver negotiation, like that was just a big part of it. And Mark DeSera also like there was like, there's a multiple there's like a track record of Artie Moreno's negotiation style. Sometimes it works. Sometimes they, he lands the player. He went big and signed Albert Pujols. He went big and signed C.J. Wilson, which I think is actually a, was a solid signing. Honestly, uh, yeah. he went out and signed Josh Hamilton. Like he's going to be play hardline, but he's also going to pay guys. Like he's he's going to be aggressive with this type of stuff, which not you can't say for any for every ownership group now. Um, I think just the investment is there. It's just a matter of how the investment sort of plays out. And I think it's something that maybe he either just wants to run his business his way, which is obviously his prerogative, or he just doesn't, like, there's just different priorities with what he wants out of it versus what maybe ultimately winds up being the best for the organization, whether it be how he invests as opposed to, like, maybe you don't necessarily need to go out and trade or assign two elite starters in the winter because you actually have a development system in place that you can develop your own starters and you can add the selective Anthony Rendon type whenever the opportunity arises but not to try to patch over a big hole which is what the Angels did this winter I think and obviously comparing anyone to the Dodgers is sort of a really tough spot to be in because the Dodgers do a lot of things really well and they have a lot of money and they use it in really smart ways but the only big contract that they've signed really is like is going to be the Mookie Betts deal because like, even Clayton Kershaw got like a, close to 100 million but like that was an extension and it was sort of someone they'd already brought in through the system so like the Mookie Betts deal is the only time they really swung a big deal and signed a big contract and they're doing things really well right now because they have a lot of players who they've developed or made smart trades and made better and I think if you can make your own players better that is down the line is something that is going to help you a lot more i think that's something the angels have tried to work on a little bit better in the last few years but they haven't necessarily quite been able to land it they've certainly made some prospects into actual big leaguers that maybe had stalled out but they don't have anyone that has really stepped up as an everyday big leaguer except maybe like a griffin canning or a david fletcher but you have so many types of like a matt theis a taylor ward uh, Michael Hermosillo and Hermosillo is a guy who was drafted a little bit lower, but like Thais and Ward were both former first rounders and neither of them have really broken through as regulars yet.
0: Right. And that sort of leads me into my next question. Thank you for leading me. Thank you for doing that. That always helps. (laughs) Um, so Billy Upler is in the midst of his fifth season. Um, It hasn't exactly gone as he had wanted to. Um, How should Angels fans think of his tenure as Angels GM? Obviously, he does um, have a unique ownership situation, which does play a part. But I think a lot of fans often, you know, make this binary assumption that it's either one or the other. um, When in reality, it it may be a duality of that. Um, So... How much responsibility does should be allocated to Billy Epler in terms of you know the inability to construct a winning roster and as you alluded to player development as well?
1: Uh, I think I mean like you said it's kind of complicated because I think I think you would be in agreement with me like this is not as like this roster is not reflective of a twelve and twenty fourteen like this is a this is a talented roster that has talent on it and I think part of that, like a good chunk of that talent was acquired or retained in the case of Mike Trout um, by Billy Epler. And I think he should be commended for that. I think there is obviously some, like he has done some things very well. I think we can see at this point, five years into him being a GM, we know what his strengths are. We know what some of his weaknesses are. His strengths obviously have been, he is someone who can, go get the guy. Like he has gotten the guy three different times now in situations that were two of which were actual free agent situations, but the other one involved inking the best player on the planet to a long-term extension. So you got Shohei Otani, you got Anthony Radone and got Mike Trout to resign. Like those were three very big pluses for him. I think the roster on the whole and the farm system on the whole is deeper than where it was. I think it is a little bit easy to, get it deeper than where it was just because of how decimated some of the farm system and stuff was when he inherited it but you definitely made some tangible strides there uh you saw some more emphasis on some modern player development techniques uh as far as like sort of stretching ownership's capability there to try to maximize things and try to change things up try to hire some people that were out of the box on, on the box and i think you've seen Certain people that are a lot better at knowing prospects than I do sort of uh, preach the value of some of the things that the Angels have done as a development staff when it comes, to, especially when it comes to physical strength and conditioning development, started getting some of these guys that fit the archetype of a player they like to draft and try to get them at least physically ready. Uh, I think maybe sometimes the execution of things maybe hasn't quite been polished when guys get called up. And maybe and I think part of that might be just with how quickly and aggressively uh, they do some of the promotions. Like, we've seen guys move very quickly. I think the pandemic is sort of... is a big reason why Joe Adele is up. I don't think he would be up during a normal 102-game season. I think he'd still be in AAA working on some things. But he worked. He, even then, he went through the system relatively quickly. Um, so, like, those are things, obviously, he's done well to a certain extent. Uh, he's been able to find some really good relievers on waivers. Like, he's been able to find some solid relievers, and I think that's something that guy. I know he, people have always been saying like they haven't paid for a closer, and they really haven't other than Cody Allen, but they've been able to sort of make do with some of these guys, like Hansel Robles sort of unearthing that, Blake Parker unearthing him. like So Like he's been able to do that pretty well. And in trades, he's done pretty well as well. Like we, Obviously, the Angelton Simmons trade, the Dylan Bundy trade, those are probably the two best ones he's had. Some of the things he struggled with, obviously, free agency. And part of that is also goes back to ownership directive. Like, so there's certain times, obviously, like with, with Rendon, where Artie Moreno had some had some sway there. I think there's certain things where maybe they're in certain positions with their payroll where they're only able to really get guys on one-year deals unless it's a Patrick Corbin or whatever.
0: Right, and I'm sure, you know, trading away their, their last year's first-rounder, Will Wilson, and packaging him with Cozart was sort of, I'm sure, one of the factors in trying to clear money to... Get Rendon and stay under the luxury tax. I'm sure that yeah, was one one yeah. of many
1: factors. Yeah, because yeah. I, I don't think, I mean, obviously, like it, it was too soon for them to really make a strong judgment on what Will Wilson was able to do off whatever was like 20 games at Orem. Like they weren't able to say, like, he's going to be good or he's not going to be good. Like they knew what they knew about when they drafted him, when they traded him. I think obviously the Cozart Tiny didn't quite work out, like did not work out at all. And I think part of, I I think it was sort of an unorthodox trade. The Angels were trying to or to save some money. And like, that's a trade that I don't think, I think in an ideal world, Billy Epler doesn't make that trade. He he can sort of still have the financial freedom to go out and sign Anthony Rendon, but like that's something that they felt opened things up for them a little bit. And they wound up actually spending it. It's one thing to sort of sell off prospects and, not get anything out of it, but they wound up getting Anthony Rendon out of it.
0: Right.
2: One thing that often gets looked at when judging Billy Epler's tenure fair or not is the fact that his predecessor, Jerry DePoto has had the opportunity to do a lot of the things that maybe he wanted to do in Anaheim and wasn't able to, or just different circumstances. We don't know, but what Jerry DePoto has done is pretty impressive with the, Basically, I think everything revolves around the Robinson Cano, Edwin Diaz trade. Um, Unloading those two players and starting over new, also with some of the other many, many trades that he's made to rebuild the farm system, it does seem that the Mariners are in a pretty good position to take a step forward in the coming years. And what a lot of the fans might be wondering is, could he have done the same thing in Anaheim? Could Billy Eppler have had have had a model more similar to that, where they didn't try to retool on the fly while putting together a competitive roster, and maybe the Angels would be in better shape now than than they actually are? Um, as I said, this probably isn't an exact and a fair comparison, but it's one that is almost, you have to make it because the similar number of years and basically where the farm system started and what the two teams, uh, what they're, they're in the same division and the level of success that they've had over the past five years is pretty similar.
1: Yeah, I think it's just a matter of two different approaches and two, like what also like looking at the motivations of just what the organization wants to be. Uh, Artie Moreno has never wanted to be someone who tanked, never wanted to be someone who really sacrificed that part of it. Uh, I think just the way he sort of is hardwired is like he just wants to win. And I don't think he was ever going to sort of let that happen. The Yankees are sort of the same way. And that's why they hired Billy Epler to try to do this is because he already done it. And I think there are other organizations that are smaller market organizations that can't really afford to like completely tank intentionally for a few years because they'd sacrifice their fan base for years. And like financially, that would just be a hit. I mean, Oakland, you'll sort of see that. Milwaukee, you'll sort of see that. Um, I think it's it's also just a tough position to really say because Artie was never going to sign off on Billy Upler If he came in in 2015, he's like, all right, I'm going to trade Andrew Heaney. He's got years of control. I can get a lot of prospects for him. Garrett Richards is a pitcher that everyone loves his stuff. Everyone loves his potential. I could probably get a lot for him. Cole Calhoun's is a young, productive player. I could trade for, I could trade him because that was like right after his Gold Glove year. I think it was his best year overall. Like there was, there were some talented, relatively young guys on that roster that he could have easily traded without trading Mike Trout. But the thing is, like, Mike Trout is good enough that like, over 162 games, like, it's hard to really be terrible with him on your roster. And also, what does that signal to him as far as like when you're gonna go to re-sign him and? 2017 2018 when you're starting to talk about that stuff and you're like a 60 win team and you're just slowly sort of rebuilding some stuff uh and if you wanted to trade Mike Trout I don't think you'd ever get requisite value in return with him I, I think you saw that with Mookie Betts trade like Alex Verdugo is a very good player and he has a chance to be a really really good player for years to come but even then like he's not gonna come anywhere near what Mookie Betts brought back so like I I just think it He was never gonna get the opportunity to do that in Anaheim. I think also just the situation that he was in, like, I don't think I don't think that's what that wasn't what he was brought in to do. I think Jerry DePoto wasn't brought in to do a rebuild either, which is but he sort of kept trying to do what he did in Anaheim the first couple of years in Seattle and you saw how close they got. I think it was twenty eighteen, I think they won like eighty nine games or whatever it was. Um, and then after that, they sort of fell off because they realized that like, there was only a certain point they could like, get to. And then they sort of sold quickly. And ownership bought in, he got that window. Uh, I don't think Billy Epler would have gotten that window. I don't think Jerry DePoto would have gotten that window in Anaheim. So I think at the end of the day, it's, it, part of it comes down to ownership, part of it comes down to execution. I think Jerry DePoto has done a pretty good job the last couple of years with a lot of his trades. There, there's some trades earlier in his scouts tenure that didn't quite work out, but I think obviously... But Evan Diaz, Robinson Cano trade is probably the best example for that. I think if they're just in a situation where, like, they had Julio Rodriguez who they signed and, like, they did that, like, they'd be in a good spot. But the fact that they have Rodriguez and Kelenic, and that that sort of pushes you to make the further trade, to try to get Taylor Trammell, and you're able to sort of really build and build off of that. I think it's easier when you have, like, multiple high-level guys to really sell or rebuild.
0: Right. And I'm sure as we saw, you know, they also flipped, you know, Tyler O'Neal, who's there at the time, a top 100 prospect, had a lot of swing and miss in his game. And they turned him into Marco Gonzalez, who they developed. And now he's, he's a mid-rotation starter. He put up over four war last year.
1: Yeah, he, he's sort of like, that trade kind of reminds me a little bit, not exactly the same because the Angels didn't trade a top 100 prospect for him, but it kind of reminds me a little bit of the situation at the Angels, I mean, at the... Yeah, the Angels getting themselves into with Dylan like where you sort of you bring him into a situation. He didn't really succeed in his first stop, but he had a high pedigree coming up. He had sort of changed who he was as a pitcher, and he as soon as he embraced that, like he just became really effective and not necessarily your typical modern model of a starter, but he's just been a really good starter. And then what the Mariners did, which was really smart, is extended him as soon as they realized like this was something that's tangible there. So I think we'll see what happens, whether it's Billy Epler, whoever is running the front office next year, like since they kept him through this deadline and we'll see what happens this winter. But like, if they believe in Dylan Bundy, like we'll see what happens, but like, I wouldn't, I think it might make some sense, obviously, to try to see if if he's open to an extension.
0: Yeah, I definitely agree. And that is going to be a big part of the angels rotation you know, assuming they extend him, that's one of the biggest decisions that they have going yeah. into, you know, this off season, Because yeah. you can't find a durable starter like that on the market, even if he wasn't a frontline guy. You know, if he's pitching a fraction of how he's pitching now, obviously a fraction can be anywhere between zero and one. But, um, you know, yeah. I well, think like, if, even if he's saw, half like, as good as he is now and he has the innings, I think he's worth extending.
1: I think what we saw last year was worth trading for just being a league average starter who can throw close to 180 innings. So if he's just somewhere between where he was last year and what he is this year, I think that's a very quality starting pitcher that even if he's not necessarily like the ace version of himself that he is now, like he, him as your second or third or fourth starter as like on an affordable team friendly deal. Like that's, That's sort of, he's the guy that you would trust starting a playoff game.
2: Right.
0: Definitely. Fabian, this has been very illuminating for us. Thank you so much for joining us. And take care.
1: All right. Thanks for having me, guys.